This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Okay, I was going to introduce Paula, so I'll do that now. Okay. Um, the speaker today is Paula Jones, and for a brief intro, uh, Paula was a student of Jokoji founder Kobenchino Otogawa Roshi starting in the mid-70s, so she's been part of the Jokoji family forever. Um, she later became a student of um, Angie Boisvane, who was Jokoji's founding director. Paula went on to found Floating Zendo San Diego and recently became one of the teachers at Floating Zendo San Jose, and this past June, she became one of the guiding teachers here at Jokoji, which we're all very happy about. Um, Paula is also a poet and a teacher of poetry, literature, and writing. And as it happens, her talk today is on poetry and Zen. So uh, with that, we welcome Paula Jones. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to see you all. And I hope you can hear me. Raise your hand if you can. Thank you. There you go. Okay. Get my stop. This, I, I you know, um, I asked people to send in poems for this, and I got some uh, great poems that people had found uh, and sent to me. If if you're near your bookcase and and you want to grab a poem that you like, uh, feel free. Um, I'm going to start out. It was, it, yeah, it was, it was going to be a lot of Zen uh, leading into this. However, however, <laughs> it's Zen because we like it. <laughs> so, um, This, the, uh, this first part is uh, a, like a tribute, I guess, uh, to the retirement, to Michael and his retirement. Uh, I found this article uh, that Mike wrote, uh, was published in the Lion's Roar several years ago. And uh, so these are, these are uh, quotations from Coben. So here's our founder, Coben, and our longtime fearless leader, Mike. Uh, the first one's called, and uh, it has, you know, the articles have been given headlines by the magazine. <clears throat> so the first part is called No, No, Zero. And this is Coben speaking. The eye <clears throat> that sees the relationship of all dharmas, all existences in this relative world, the wisdom eye observes the relationship of all beings not just your position, but everything related, interrelated, rising and falling. Anytime you want me to repeat something, just let me know. Okay, yes, all right. I've had a request to repeat. <clears throat> the eye that sees the relationship of all dharmas all existences in this relative world, the wisdom eye observes the relationship of all beings, not just your position, 
but everything related, interrelated, rising and falling. Well, that is basically the thesis of the talk. I was glad I could find this because I thought, yeah, that sums it up, Coben, thank you. <laughs> uh, but here's some more. The light inside. Light comes from out of people, like a firefly light. Light is generated inside. Not always constant because support of innumerable others sustains an individual life. And at the same time, one's existence must return the same amount of energy to all. The body is warm and something is burning. When you look for it, there is light. We can come back to any of these later, you know, later on after, um, after I've read some of the other poems. So this is what Peter sent in, some really nice poems. Uh, first of all, he sent in Angie's poem from her book, Drum of Bone, Whistle of Silver, a fantastic book. And, uh, is it, it's still available, I suppose, at Bookshop Santa Cruz? Yeah, okay. Well, in other places, it's probably on Amazon. I don't know, I don't know. I, I was lucky enough to have her send me one. Um, so this is Angie. Contemplated work in old age. Each dish I know and touch as I touch my own hands and face, the forks know me. The bed's opening and closing is part of a story. When I tend the garden, the garden tends me. And when I go inside, my pockets full with oranges, juncos, and bull tits conversations still fill my mind. I am so happy to be able to work, to act, to do. I love to touch, pick up, and move things. I love to go up and down the stairs. I feel so lucky to be digging up iris, sweeping the walks, plowing garbage into the mulch pile. What a great life to be still living like this. You might call it work. I call it a fortune. Hi. And I think this medicine oh, okay. well, that's yes. so, so, do you mind reading it again? Oh, no, I wouldn't. <clears throat> May I have a drink of water first? <laughs> so it's contemplating work in old age. Each dish I know and touch as I touch my own hands and face. 
The forks know me. The bed's opening and closing is part of a story. When I tend the garden, the garden tends me. And when I go inside, my pockets filled with oranges, juncos and bush tits conversations still fill my mind. I am so happy to be able to work, to act, to do. I love to touch, pick up and move things. I love to go up and down the stairs. I feel so lucky to be digging up the iris, sweeping the walks, plowing garbage into the mulch pile. What a great life to be still living like this. You might call it work. I call it a fortune. So, okay, so now this is a poem that Peter also found uh, over the internet. And I think it, it kind of, um, it resonates with me with Angie's title of Angie's poem, Drum of Bone, Whistle of Silver, you know, but just the title. <clears throat> so, and yeah, that's, that's all Peter, you know, can say about it. Just found it. I don't know if you, other of you have seen it. I will not rescue you, for you are not powerless. I will not fix you, for you are not broken. I will not heal you, for I see you in your wholeness. I will walk with you through the darkness as you remember your light. <clears throat> Paula, I can add a bit about the background of that poem. Okay. Uh, the source is a, a friend of Marie's and mine from the church here in Santa Cruz from Peace Church, uh, Bev Brook, and she's the, uh, one of her ministries is with uh, people who are incarcerated. Um, and uh, we've talked with her several times about my grandson who's in prison. And uh, she shared that poem with us. And so it's somewhat the, 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 um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, a friend outside speaking to a friend inside. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, that one to one, that's one interpretation. That's the, the spirit in which I received it and yeah. uh, what it means to Marie and I and my family. Thank you for reading it. Oh, thank you. I've known your children, <laughs> so really right. I'm that, glad that, to And, and this is Pete, the last poem uh, Peter sent me, which it sounds good to me right now. Uh, it's, 
from Angie's Seeds of Virtue, Seeds of Change. Our only activity is to return to the present, to be this place. Mm -mm, wrong. Our only activity is to return to the present, to be this right now place. Uh, so a few people have asked me, a couple of people have asked me to read poems uh, without saying their names. So uh, I certainly respect that. Um, this is actually the first contribution to this stream and gave me the idea for um, opening this stream up to our uh, joint sanghas. <clears throat> it's called The Way It Is by William Stafford. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about that thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of that thread. This poem <clears throat> is from uh, Adrian Rich's book, The Dream of a Common Language, a book I don't think I have anymore. It's a wonderful book. Uh, this is from 21 Love Poems, number six. <clears throat> Your small hands, precisely equal to my own, only the thumb is larger, longer in these hands. I could trust the world or in many hands like these, handling power tools or steering wheel or touching a human face. Such hands could turn the unborn child right ways in the birth canal or pilot the exploratory rescue ship through icebergs or pierce together the fine needle-like shards of a shards or shreds of a great crater cup bearing on its sides figures of ecstatic women striding to the Sibyl's Den or the Elysian Cave. Such hands might carry out an unavoidable violence with such restraint was such a grasp of the range and limits of violence that violence ever after would be obsolete.
this this these are this is from, sent from two friends of mine uh, whose sangha I I sat with for a long time whose uh, insight meditation sangha I sat with uh, for a long time and Rick is uh, one of the teachers in the lineage he doesn't he doesn't have his own group they they he doesn't he never really went into teaching for them as a teacher precisely but he uh he led many 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 groups um part-time in the area he's a he's he's still um almost full-time um uh, counselor but his wife sent it and uh she we became friends right away uh uh, when I first came to uh, their the sangha meeting at their house, they just called it Thursday night meetings, and it had been going on for about 20 years when I came there, maybe less. But I happened it, it happened that one of the original people had started to come was uh, <laughs> was our friend David. <laughs> Uh, who you know from uh, from Jikoji Sashin. And whenever I try to remember things, I forget them. I'm sorry. And the other the other um, the other man was ended up moving uh, to um, near Port Townsend. Uh, he he lived in Port Angeles where there was a group. And their teacher was, uh, who I knew her as Fran O'Connell, and she was a student of Coben's. Uh, and then she went over and, and studied with, um, uh, with a group in Japan uh, whose founder was uh, a Japanese poet, a famous Japanese poet. I don't want to say Ryokan, but I think maybe that's it. I, I will say Ryokan but I'd have to look it up. So Margot is, we became friends because uh, she says the first time I came to their Sangha uh, or one of the earlier times I came to their Sangha, um, someone was talking and, um, and I'm ashamed of this really, but I'll tell you what she said. She says, I really liked it when someone started going on about something or other for too long. You rolled your eyes back in your head. <laughs> and um, she, she's that kind of person. Some of you know Margo. I guess uh, maybe only Pamela knows Margo, but uh, Margo and Rick both came up to uh, a session when I was, I think, lay ordained um, at Jikoji with Angie. Okay, now the poem. So <clears throat> he says there are three separate poems, is Margot's message. It's from the mountain poems of Stonehouse. People say everyday mind isn't our Buddha nature. I say our Buddha mind is simply everyday mind. Afraid no one will do any work, they teach grinding iron rods to make meadows. After meditation, they chant a cold mountain poem 
After dinner, I brew grain rain tree. And when some feeling lingers I can't express, I take a basket across the ridge and gather vine flowers. The flux of attachment is easy to stop, but it's hard all at once to end love and hate. I laugh at the mountain for towering so high and the mountain mocks me for being so skinny. I read it all as one poem. <laughs> Sorry, Rick, but those are three poems. Three separate poems. Does anyone want to pause and, and say anything for a while? <laughs> okay. I'll keep going. I have one. I was looking through uh, Louise Bogan's book. She was a poet that I um, I discovered <clears throat> through working with uh, a teacher that I really, really came to love, uh, William Dickey, at uh, San Francisco State. I had we had private meetings, you know, once a week. Um, I was able to do them in person, you know, that was, that was, that was a long time ago. And uh, he, he was in every way, the kindest person, the kindest teacher I've had before many other teachers, but COVID and Andy. So this is uh, one of her poems. I, if you remind me later and we have time, there's a wonderful poem he wrote um, about the sinking of the Titanic. And it, 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 I was reading it again and again when the COVID period got really bad. It, it reminded me of something similar. So, or if you want me to go get it, I will go try to find it. I had it out. Okay. Evening Star. Light from the planet Venus, soon to set, be with us. Light, pure and round, without heat or shadow, held in the cirrus sky at evening, accompany what we do. Be with us. Know our partial strength. Serve us in your own way. Brief planet, shining without burning. Light lacking words that might praise you, wanting and greeting sighs only. I realized reading that, that I sort of, uh, I think inadvertently, uh, uh, Stole not the words, but the cadence of the last two lines. Uh, well, I guess that's not stealing, but use that same cadence. I was so influenced by in a in one of the per first poems I published. Uh, I forget the name of the mag magazine. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> it was a long time ago. I still lived in Santa Cruz. 
Okay, I have two more. One more. Oh no, okay, I only have one more. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to the life we have refused again and again until now, until now. I'd like to read that one over. There's a lot of space between the lines. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to the life we have refused again and again until now, until now. That's what I have. Does anybody would say? What do you have? If there's a poem you'd, oh yes, yay. I don't have another poem to offer, but I have gratitude to you um, for sharing these. I don't know if I was the only one weeping from the beginning, but my heart, um, all these expressions of everything. And I'm grateful to you, Paula, for bringing them to all of us. I'm grateful for all of us. I'm grateful to you and to all of us who brought in poems and who listened to our poems. Um, yeah. Um, I think we have, do we have until when? Five more minutes or something? We go until 12.30. Okay. But the people at Jacoji need to leave at uh, 12.20, is that it? Uh, 12.30. No. Okay. We, we, we could stay as long as uh, you can, Paula. I can stay. I just, um, I read all the poems I have in front of me. I thought if you wanted to uh, revisit one of the poems that, that you heard before and open it up to other people's comments. Yeah, Andy. Uh, I just have um, it's a real quick one and I, I I have these little poems I I go to when I'm feeling kind of down and I think and I don't know maybe it's the aftermath of the whole 9-11 celebration or yeah. something but it's just something a lot of stuff has been stirred up in, yeah. in terms of my life and whatnot and trying to uh, think about meaning and this this comes from a whole different tradition Maybe it's the same tradition. I don't know. It's a Native American. It's an Ojibwe. It's a little kind of expression, a little phrase that they say. And it goes, 
sometimes I go about pitying myself and all the time I'm being carried on great winds across the sky. So, you know, when I can somehow just slap myself and go, <laughs> kind of yeah. move that. Randy, uh, I was going to read that one. And then at the last minute, I was like, oh, no, as usual, I was at the last minute that, well, can't find it. But it, uh, I, it was in uh, Robert Bly's book that yeah, I saw. Yeah, it's read a Robert Bly. Well, read more. Huh? Are you going to read well, more? No, the only one other one I have, this is the other one I have when I feel lost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is not. <laughs> um, okay, this is, this is a Rilke. And the name of the title of the poem is I Live My Life. I live my life in growing orbits, which move out over the things of the world. Perhaps I can never achieve the last, but that will be my attempt. I am circling around God, around the ancient tower, and I've been circling for a thousand years. And I still don't know if I am a falcon or a storm or a great song. Oh, so perfect. those two yeah. help my confusion. So <laughs> I pull them out. <laughs> oh, good idea to have them right there. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know you were going to do poems. That I'm I I'm so glad. I I almost I was in the midst of doing something. I almost didn't jump in today but i'm so happy that i did so it, it uh, I, yeah uh, i'm so know. glad you did too you know sometimes i didn't know until it, the last it, minute and uh, this helped yeah yeah so. john thank you thank you again uh john's on mute okay This one um, contains, refers to the secret of Zen. The title is Not Why, But What. Not Why, But What. That's the secret of Zen. Not because, but is. The famous cherry blossom blossoming. Did you write that, John? Uh, no, no, I can't claim that. It's from this book. Um, okay, thank you. Writing that down. Uh, from this fellow, Dick Al Allen, uh, which is from a press called new wisdom poems and i'll read if i may just a couple of other short okay. ones um, of which this is the shorter the title is on the raft the poem is perfectly adrift
That's it. Yeah, you get the poem and the title all in one place. Thank you. Yay. Okay. So, um, I think I can say with near certainty that he wrote this during the AIDS epidemic. Uh, I went to a poetry uh, workshop in Palo Alto uh, Community College. Um, and I saw an old teacher of mine from, I was in the graduate program of creative writing. Uh, and she just happened to mention that he had died and I hadn't heard and I was really upset. Uh, and then she realized a lot of people hadn't heard that either. So she made an announcement uh, at the, um, in front of the whole audience. I had first seen him at a, another um, writing conference I went to at, um, at um, community college there. And I knew I wanted to study with him. And that's how it ended up. So I do think this is about the AIDS epidemic. And I don't know how he died. I don't want to assume that's how he died. But he knows what he's talking about. Gashed from her long immobility on the seabed, gravid with the dreams of invertebrates, only half here in the sense of consciousness, she pulls gray on a gray morning <clears throat> into New York Harbor, bearing all of the dead in their attitudes, the old dead in dinner jackets, bare feet encrusted with barnacles, their pearl eyes, their old assurance of conquest over the negligent elements, and walking thin and perplexed among them, the new dead, who never realized on what crossing they had embarked. We are the photographs negative, made after the color print, made after the abyssal waters took color out of the Liberty scarves, the bright upper atmosphere of tea dances, after the drift downward, the pressures of winter. If it has been abandoned, it is ours. Excuse me. It comes sailing silently back with us. There were never enough light boats and never enough gaiety to see us safely through past moonrise and our monochrome exploration into the range of ice. Does anyone uh, want to read that again instead of my reading it, or does or or is that good having it read once? 
anyone like to say anything about that? I would like to hear it if you do. Awesome. I can't see you all and see the poem at the same time, so I can't see if anyone's raising their hand or anything. Okay, Pamela? I was just going to offer to read it again so you could hear it. Do you want that? I would love that, thank you. It says, gashed from her long immobility on the sea bed, gravid with the dreams of invertebrates, only half here in the sense of consciousness, she pulls gray on a gray morning into New York Harbor, bearing all of the dead in their attitudes, the old dead in dinner jackets, bare feet encrusted with barnacles, their pearl eyes, their old assurance of conquest over the negligent elements, and walking thin and perplexed among them, the new dead who never realized on what crossing they had embarked. We are the photographs negative, made after the color print, made after the abyssal waters took color out of the Liberty scarves, the bright upper atmosphere of tea dances, after the drift downward, the pressures of winter. If it has been abandoned, it is ours. It comes sailing silently back with us. There were never enough lifeboats and never enough gaiety to see us safely through past moonrise and our monochrome exploration into the range of ice. Judy, do you want to say something? So I have a poem that I wrote um, a few years ago during Sashim, and I'd like to share it with you. Some of you have heard it because you were present at the Sashim, but I'll, I'd like to share it again. It's a haiku. Space where Angie sat. All falls apart, said Coben. Float, Zendo, float on. I never heard that. Thank you so much. Once again, please. Space where Angie sat. All falls apart, said Coben. Float, Zendo, float on. Wow. I'd like to share one from Maya uh, Shaw Gale. She's a poet and a drummer. And with her drumming and didgeridoo and my flute, 
we go out on the beach in Carpentria here near Santa Barbara on Friday afternoons and play as the people walk by and we play with the ocean is our other partner. And so this is a poem that she wrote called Impermanence. There's no way to be sure, so better befriend uncertainty. Learn to swim with chaos and kiss up to the vast unknown. The world reeks of impermanence. If you haven't caught its scent by now, you'll waste all your precious energy trying to invent things that last. So go ahead, throw that illusion out with the bathwater and get comfortable wearing the naked truth. Sooner or later, everything flows back to where it came from. One day your breath will belong to the wind. Best drink your tea while it's hot. I'm just imagining you there, both of you there and of the ocean and the people. You want to come down here to San Diego? Because <laughs> that would be nice. Oh, I mean, yeah. I remember you saying, I remember you saying, I don't know a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> kind of naive on uh, poetry. And so uh, I was, I was writing down what I thought. Like I don't really understand in some ways. I was wondering what the nature of poetry is. And then I then when you read the poem, I think it was the Titanic poem, and the other gentleman read, read the poem, it, it dawned on me how different it was. That the that you called it cadence, but also more linked to like song, this different tone or intonation of your two different voices really different and I really so anyway I just uh, I don't quite understand in some ways uh, I don't know if I need to you know how to define but I thought maybe I'd throw in something like that because I don't really have a poem I have some jokes but <laughs> well let me <laughs> respond to that first um, you know, uh, somewhere among all my junk on my desk, um, <clears throat> I, lo I lost things. Several Not only I don't know, I lose things. But uh, Stanley Kunitz, who is a, a wonderful poet, has an essay on poetry. And uh, he, he says that poems come from the body. And of course the mind, but from the body in that sense, to me, it totally relates to our zazen. We're both. And in the world, we're both. But it is, as you said, the cadence. And there's something of not just the words, not just the words, not just the meaning, the sound, the rhythm, cadence, the diction, the kind of words, there's all that there. And um, yeah, we yeah, we don't read it like we read um, a novel, although 
many novels are so beautiful that you could read lines aloud from them that would be poetry, that would sound like poetry. That's been my experience. I also read novels for the characters, or if it's fiction, or or the sound as well, or or an idea that is being depicted too. But I'm glad to be able to read both with that in mind. I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking, but it seems like that's what you've experienced while you've been listening to these poems. You think so? Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.